Hello, and welcome to I Swear I'm Not Crazy, the B2B creative podcast. I'm Mike Ruby here with John Battistini. As always, two dudes who've spent two decades convincing B2B marketers that we're not insane when we propose big creative ideas to drive their brands and businesses forward. John, what's the haps, man? Hey, man. Nice to uh, talk to you again. Oh, you know, just working, telling people that uh, I swear I'm not crazy and trying to pitch some business. You know, living the dream. Yeah. Yeah. Living the dream, trying to keep my house from uh, floating away uh, with all the storms we've been having in the Northeast. But other than that, it's all good. Yeah. We had the same. We had our first storm in 200 days in the Bay Area this past weekend. Seven nice. inches of rain. That is a lot of rain. <laughs> it is a lot. It's a lot rain. of rain, dude. But oh, man. When the choices are rain or fire, I'm going to go with rain. Yeah. Yeah. I would take rain, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's, it's a good, yeah, if I have to choose, I, I mean, if I'm choosing whether I'm going to drown or be burned to death, that's a tough one. I don't want to do either, but if it's just rain versus fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think I'm going to go with none of the above Alex on the other ones. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. So uh, before we dive into today's mm-hmm. topic for the podcast, um, some new news from your old stomping grounds. Yeah. So uh, your, your, your former agency Edelman and uh the fine folks at LinkedIn just released their fourth annual B2B thought leadership impact study, um, which is examining how thought leadership influences perception and buying behaviors among B2B decision makers. Um, and uh, I-, I love that you've grabbed, was that last year's? No, that is the inaugural one from 2019. This oh, that's is the, the inaugural one that, you just, the... that you've just shown me, you know, for, for those listening, we, we record over video so we can see each other when we're speaking. And yeah. Uh, so that's that that's fantastic. And it's that's well kept in cellophane. That's yeah. that's yeah, no, I have I have that one from from when uh Joe Kingsbury at Edelman was one, I think one of the folks that initiated that great guy I used to work with him. So uh yep. who, Joe's who name is, to Joe for doing that. Yeah, Joe's name is still on the uh is still on we the should report. get him as a guest. We should get Joe as a guest. All right, I'll work on that. All right. Joe, if you're listening, I want you to be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's in the universe. Yeah. So, um, so you're obviously familiar with the study. I thought this would be a good thing to talk about. Yeah. Considering so much of our creative work in B2B is, is related to some form of multi-format content. Um, so there's good news and there's bad news. So the, you know, the study leads with the bad news and I, I enjoy, I enjoy their verbiage. So shout out to whoever at Edelman wrote this copy. Uh, they describe that there is a quote unquote, pandemic-induced glut of low-quality content that is diluting the value of thought leadership among decision-makers. So uh, the the interesting number here, 66%, so two-thirds of global decision-makers say the pandemic spawned a huge increase in the amount of thought leadership in the marketplace. Well, let's be clear, Um, Mike. There was also a ton to start with. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, as, As I've coined it, white paper, white noise. Oh, my. So there was already a lot. Um, and uh, interestingly, the four in 10 of the people they surveyed also said that not only is there more content, but there's more than they can manage or keep up with. Mm-hmm. So uh, if it was saturated before, um, keeping in line with the rainstorms that you and I have experienced, there's oversaturation in content. But, uh, you know, the the really shocking fact here is not only is there a whole heck of a lot of stuff, I think it's again, going back to our glut of low quality, uh, nearly three quarters of the decision makers they surveyed 71% say that less than half of the thought leadership they consume gives them valuable insights. So would buy that. So let's, so let's reverse engineer the math there. That means that we are spending more time and more money than ever making content and half of it is garbage to our audiences. Yep. Well, I mean, not, I I don't feel that the content that we're making is garbage, but there are people out there making garbage. That was the collective Royal. We, this is about, (laughs) this is, this is about the high. You and I are not making sense. This is the parentheses, high quality B2B creative. podcast. I, I think it is. I think, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there. I think there's people that are just like content marketing works. Get me some content. And you know, there's content being developed by AIs. There's content being farmed out to, you know, just, 
what is it like the way you'd have like benches of coders. Now you've got benches of content writers. It's like the new HTML, just get some cheap guys to make content. You know, uh, I, I think they're absolutely right. It, it is low quality, you know, and I think I, I can't prove this, but I think there's also a lot of low cost content out there. And I don't mean content should be expensive to make, but I think you've got to spend money to get quality as with most things. And I think we'll probably get to our topic of today's and discuss where some of that money should be spent in order to make and generate high quality content. Yeah. Does, uh, does any of this surprise you? No, none of this surprises me. I mean, there's been crappy content out there forever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, I think that's a fair point. I mean, even if you look at consumer content and I don't mean marketing consumer content, I mean, TV. Up, yeah, I mean, open up Netflix yeah. and see how much junk there is underneath whatever the AI is recommending. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not not everything's going to be a winner, but um, well, what it, what is it? Every time there's a blockbuster movie, there's like seven ripoffs. Like, remember, uh, you know, Pacific Rim. There was like Atlantic Rim, and I was like, what is this other fake giant robot movie? Oh, this is terrible. But it was no, like they, you know, the opposite. They had me at kaiju. Yeah, they had me at kaiju. Uh, but, but, but that's a common theme. And I think that happens in our industry too. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's fair. Um, and, and I think, I think the study is helpful in pointing out things that we inherently should know, but maybe don't. Mm-hmm. And we have mm-hmm. to remind ourselves and remind clients of like, for example, uh, here's a, a choice stat that stood out to me. Um, 55% of buyers say that if a piece of thought leadership does not pique their interest within the first minute, they will move on. I mean, that seems like normal. <laughs> like, you know, like no surprise there. I'm surprised they said within the first minute. I was thinking they were saying the first like 20 seconds. Yeah, but I, I think it just reinforces that yeah. you know, the, the, the content that we make yeah. has got to be valuable and it's yeah. got to be interesting. Yep. Um, you know, and, and more than that, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this. I don't know if you do it. I, I keep a folder on my desktop called marketing reading, and I just throw the things that I download in there. Um, but I'm like the 56% of folks in the survey oh, yeah. who say that they file away thought leadership content with the intent to revisit, but never actually get back to it. Yeah, no, I, I, I go through it. Like I put it in my Evernote and then I'm like, I once in a while I call and it's like, it's like what I think it's Malcolm Gladwell. It's like thin slicing. I go through in like 15 seconds and I'm like, Nope, Nope. Not going to read this. Not going to read this. Find something I do. So I think that's spot on. I'm, I'm surprised it's 55% and not like 95% of people, (laughs) you know, I think we all do it, you know? Yeah. seems natural, but it's interesting to, you know, despite, despite the, the, the lack of satisfaction that folks have in the content they're finding and the fact that they feel like there's more of it they have to sift through, um, the key takeaways from the study say that thought leadership is still critical to customer, customer engagement, but that breaking through that noise mm-hmm. is harder than it's ever been because there's just so much more noise out there. And you know what was the, the, the really interesting takeaway for me, and I think this is something that you and I have been preaching forever as, as creative professionals, is that um, the data finally supports in this in this research that high performing thought leadership content should strike a balance between being authoritative and provocative, but it can also be human. And dare yeah. I say, they use the word fun. I say entertaining. Sure. I, yeah. I you know there's 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 nothing wrong with actually enjoying or looking forward to the content that you get. Right. Yeah. It shouldn't be a chore, even if the content is engaging and insightful and like educational for what you want if it's a dry, terrible read, that's just stinks. <laughs> Let's so, be honest. So what, what are, what are some things you're doing with your clients right now to, to break through and kind of heed the recommendations of Edelman and LinkedIn? Hmm. Well, first thing is we're trying to do basically, if I could paraphrase the Edelman LinkedIn study is don't suck. So we're trying to not suck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't suck, John. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, that's always a really hard thing is like, you know, working with clients and coming up with ideas that are provocative and that are interesting and that are entertaining and, you know, even fun, but also balancing it with what do, what does the audience want? What does the audience care about? What is going to help the business? You know, what's the right way to do it? What's the right channel for it? Like it could be totally fun to do one thing, but if your audience isn't on that channel, then it's just not going to work. So it's like 
figure it's a, a, what we're doing, Mike, is compromising. That's what we're doing. I say more about that. Well, I mean, you know, if it's if it's up to us, we're always going to do as creators, we're going to do the biggest, the most exciting, the most fun, like the most thing. But, you know, that doesn't always work for the audience you're in. So you have, you know, the audience you're trying to reach. So it's like, you know, and the clients have goals. I mean, you know, the customer is always right. It's like, yeah, but if the customer was always right, businesses would just go to business, give everything away for free. Um, you know, you can't, you can't be so customer centric that you don't, you forget about the fact that these are businesses. I don't know if that made sense, but um, you get what I'm trying to say. So I think you have to strike a balance and you have to find a compromise between what is engaging and what is fun and what's going to keep the audience engaged, but balance that with the information that's going to help educate them and maybe actually get them to take action and move down the sales cycle. And I think what happens is people traditionally think B2B is just about that latter half of just moving people down the sales cycle. And they forget that, you know, we're still people and it can be fun and engaging and still move the needle. And that's where I think that compromise is. You've got to strike the right balance between the two to really resonate with people. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you know, me and my love of musicals. Um, you know, I, I, I always like to say it's the, it's the Mary Poppins yeah. theory, you know, you need a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, some of the best um, content that really resonates does that. What uh, is, are there any, any projects that you've either recently put out or that aren't, that aren't proprietary, the P word that you can talk about? Um, that's a tough one off the top of my head. Yes, but I can't talk about them. So the answer is no, <laughs> <laughs> um, not yet. Anyway, at a later, a later thing when stuff is actually in market, we can talk about it, but yeah, that is, that is some of the stuff though, that we're dealing with right now, you know, talking to clients and saying, you know, we could do something like this. And they're like, well, that's a little edgy for us. Is that okay? And it's like, well, we think it would resonate and here's why. And this audience does this. And on this channel, it'll look at like this. And, you know, it'll still say this and, you know, it will pique people's interest. And, and, you know, I think, you know, stuff in this study that we're looking at really helps that argument because it's like, there's a glut of stuff. So you need to do even more to cut through. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I, what about I think, yourself? What are you working on? Anything you could talk about that does? Yeah. This? Yeah. We just, uh, we just launched a, uh, a content hub um really to, to 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 be fair to just how how awesome it is it's a an, an educational resource for uh for lawyers uh specifically for contingency fee law firms so okay. these are the folks who only make money if their clients win gotcha right um mm -hmm. and our client is a bank that provides banking and finance solutions specifically for contingency fee lawyers because they're obviously working on spec until their yeah. until their wins come in so the thing about the thing about lawyers is they're they're very often like doctors and sometimes you know advertising professionals is that we're great at our craft but not always great at running a business mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right yeah. it's the famous thing is that a doctor is fantastic at being a doctor but not necessarily at running a doctor's yeah. office so lawyers are very much the same thing where they learn they learn torts and they mm -hmm. learn you know how to handle themselves in court but right. no one teaches them how to build and grow a law firm right so there's all of these things that they didn't teach you about business and law school. And so, um, so we've worked with our client to put, uh, to put together a resource that we call Lawyer IQ. Oh, nice. And it is a, uh, a destination for content about the business of law. So it's about finance. It's about accounting. It's about intake. It's about digital marketing. Um, and we're very lucky this client we're working with, we're developing original content for them and with them. Um, but they also, they're probably one of the best content marketers that I've had the pleasure of working with. They have a very robust library of content that they've created as well as they've got rock star lawyers mm. who step in and do webinars and podcasts and write articles. So out of the gate, we've got dozens of pieces of high quality content. Well, that's great. And a library of a hundred more that we're going to be pulling out of. And it's, it's awesome. The response has been fantastic so far. And it's, it's great because again, it's, it's not hammering you over the head mm -hmm. to bank with them. It's content that is actually useful in terms of how do you grow your firm coming out of mm -hmm. COVID? How do you actually do marketing in 
the 2020s when, yeah, billboards are effective, but they're not going to be the most effective thing, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that that's something where I'm, I'm excited that we're, we're looking at ways to create things that aren't just noise, you know, and then others, you know, in, in our last episode with Tom Stein um, talked about some content we've made for a life sciences client where mm -hmm. we, we are exploring and celebrating their work in cell science um, by creating art based on the work they've done. That's awesome. Um, now, I, which has I been think, really cool. I think you're, you know, you, you brought up a really good point though, Mike, when you talked about the, the, the client that has good high quality content, because we've both been there when we worked together, we were there where, you know, the client would come to us and say, we have all this content. And then you're like, oh, great. And then you do a gap analysis. You look at it like you don't have content. You have press releases. You have two or three articles that are four years old. You don't actually, you know, I, I think a lot of, unfortunately, I think a lot of clients are guilty of generating some of that content because they were told, go make some content. Content marketing works. And you've got an overworked in-house marketing department that's like, I got to make content. Let's get some writers. Let's do some stuff. And, you know, they start writing a bunch of blog articles and then they still have other jobs they have to do. And so those articles don't get updated and you're left with this glut of what did Edelman call it? A glut of low quality pandemic induced content. <laughs> so, yeah. so yes. Pandemic induced glut. Yeah. Okay. So they say you that go. five times fast. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, I think, I think that's a really big problem. And I, and I think it kind of brings us to what we were going to talk about, you know, today is, you know, what really is at the core of good B2B content and creative, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to ride that segue um, into today's topic. And so we, we, in our earlier episodes, have talked about the importance of having insights to drive creative. And mm -hmm. that that's something that we, we both felt was a, something that was worthy of its own complete episode. And so here we are, um, you know, the, the old saying goes, it's not creative if it's not strategic. Mm -hmm. And so um, wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking about um, what is it that, that makes for an effective strategy in, in, in B2B that drives great creative? How do we, you know, for our, for our peers in, in our listening audience who are either taking the work of an account planning team or a product marketing team from a client? Um, how can they take what's given to them? And for those who are developing those materials in product marketing or in an insights team or in, a, in an account planning team, um, how do they give us the best fuel to do the best work? So, um, you know, where does great strategy come from, John? Oh, it's in, easy. Your, in your humble opinion. Oh, it's easy? Yeah, from the strategist. Yes. And where, <laughs> and where pray tell does the strategist get the great strategy from? I don't know. I just expect him to give me a brief and tell me what to do. Um, <laughs> no, spoken I, like a true creative. Yeah. Um, that's a really great question. And I think it comes from research and understanding and asking questions. And, and I think that's really where it comes from. And, you know, some strategists that have been doing this for a long time and, you know, some creatives have some, you know, inherent category knowledge and will know certain things, but I think it, it comes from asking questions is where I think you find out and you uncover things. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think, I think point number one is you get it from customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that inherently customers always provide some form of an answer. So I think to your point earlier, you know, when when you were um, perhaps walking yourself into a bit of a conundrum, um, you, you pointed out that sometimes the customer isn't always right. They don't always know what they want. You know, it's right. Steve Jobs saying, you know, the, the customer doesn't tell you what they want. You have, sometimes you have to tell them that the thing they really want is the thing they don't know that they want. Right. 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 Exactly. But, you know, that said. I, I always I always recommend to my copywriters that customers write the best headlines. You know, yeah. it's it's always worth speaking to customers, reading what customers have to say, um, understanding their language and understanding, you know, what what's the pain point? What's right. the thing that's really holding them back that 
if you talk about it, they're going to feel like they're seen, that they're yeah. truly recognized in, in whatever you're making for them. And I, I want to add on to that. I think you're absolutely right that customers will tell you, and I think if you are lucky enough to be able to interrogate non-customers or non-converting prospects, finding out why is also something that can help you when you're trying to be strategic and understand pain points. You know, it's always good to hear from folks if they're willing to tell you why they didn't convert to see if that's something, you know, that was a miss on our side as marketers when maybe our clients actually do fill that need and we didn't articulate it properly or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I love... I love either sitting in on sales calls or um, like you said, having a direct conversation with, with the customer and they'll be blunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, those are my, those are my favorite, you know, aside from writing great headlines because they, they, they tell you what their problem is. Right. They'll also give you candid feedback about mm-hmm. your client in a way that'll help to shape perceptions with them. Yeah. I, I it was great. I had a call last year with, um, with a partner of one of our clients who absolute was an absolute evangelist, loved, loved the product, loved the team, but felt like didn't always get the information from them that would, that would help them the most. Mm. And, you know, said, you know, it was like, they'd find out like 50 minutes into a meeting, this amazing new thing. And it was like the lead got buried and literally the feedback I had to take back to the client from their customer was they said, Oh, by by the way, you assholes, why don't you tell me this sooner? (laughs) That's amazing. Um, I, I love hearing directly from that, but I, I mean, I, I think the other, the other place that I, that I love to go for finding the, the insights is obviously looking at what's in the market trends right now. What's, mm-hmm. what's right on the edge of where people are. I mean, I think consumer research does a really good job of really trying to stay ahead of what's happening. And sometimes we, we kind of lag behind in B2B it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's always, you know, the technology, you know, is always typically a step behind consumer technology. And I think sometimes the insights and creative fall a couple steps behind as well. I think so too. Now you bring up uh, a really, a really, um, I want to say triggering word for some people. Uh Um, Well, you said insights. So let's, let's just cut right to the chase. So, you know, we, where do we get research? We talked about that, but what makes an insight, Mike, what is an insight? I, I mean, oh man, you're going to make, I don't me want a dictionary me. definition. I yeah, want, you're I want the me, Mike Ruby definition. You're going to put me on the Webster's alert. Well, I mean, I think that the, the, the way that I would define an insight is that it's, it's, and because there are a lot of people who get information and insights confused. Oh yeah. Observation and insights are often it's, confused. Thank you. There's the better word. You know, I, I'll, I'll review decks from, from, colleagues who are in the process of going through research, or um, even if I get, if I get something handed through from a client and it's, it's observational. If you point out what's there, the insight is when you point out what's not there. Mm-hmm. The, the, for, for me, an insight is when you are able to look at a set of facts or a set of information that you pull to that, that that's pulled together and you find a connective thread in there that, that, that allows you to say something unique or different. Yeah, definitely. You you know, I think, I think all too often we, we hear things during, you know, briefs and talking about projects when people are like, you know, the insight here is that people like to save money. That's not an insight, dude. <laughs> you know, it's like an insight would be people have to this, this, our audience has too much credit card debt, but they can't get rid of it because they're doing X, Y, Z, and they know it's wrong. And they know it's wrong. That's the insight. I mean, maybe I'm making it up. That may not be the insight. But you know what I'm saying? Like, give me that thing that gives me a territory to go, oh, Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's a it's also an insight if you bring something that that people didn't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, you know. I mean, you you and I worked on a client a, n- a number of years ago that um, is in the 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 talent acquisition space, mm-hmm. and they thought that they were competing with 
this is back in the days of job boards. They thought they were competing with Monster and Career Builder and, and all of those sites. And this was at the dawn of LinkedIn. And we found out in doing the research that no, the future is the future is social. No, it's true. I've had a I had a past client that came to us with an insight. Um, big financial services client, uh, well known, um, considered maybe stayed a little boring, not technology exciting. And they realized uh, this, we did work for their um, employment, the employment side of the brand to hire new people. And they realized um, that they were competing with Apple and Google and Facebook for the same talent. And, you know, they're like, how do we convince these people that it's okay to come work for us? And we are as technology forward as those other companies. And that's that, that was the problem they came up with. And, you know, our strategic team um, came up with a, you know, a, a platform that we could rally around to do um, the digital campaign for them. And it, it performed very, very well. Um, but, you know, that's what it was. That was, that was not an observation necessarily. Now it's actually kind of common knowledge that, that, you know, so that now it is an observation, but at the time it was actually an insight because we're going back quite a number of years. Yeah. So why I'm going to, I'm going to give the, it's your turn for the tough question. You know, sure. why, why are insights so critical to creative or to creativity? Because we need to make something that resonates and connects with our audience. And if we haven't in there and there's too much content, a glut of low quality content. So in order to cut through that glut and make something that resonates, you need to touch your audience figuratively. And if you have an insight powering your creative, you can wield it like a scalpel, hopefully, to cut through what's going on. And, you know, that insight will reach out and touch that person figuratively um, in the right way to get them to connect with you. Yeah, I, I, I'd 100% agree with that. I, I, I also think there are, there are some creative professionals who are very good at finding those insights themselves. Yeah. They're some very, people they, just they, get to it. Yep. Some people just naturally understand psychology and they naturally, they, they can spot trends and they can make those connections. There are other people who are very successful creatives who are good at interpreting an insight, but aren't good at discovering it. Yep. And, yeah. and I feel like, the better the create, the better the strategic insight is, the more creative you can be because you don't have to sit there and figure out what the heck to say. Absolutely. Your job is to figure out the most compelling way to say it. Right. And it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make you bad if you can't come up with the insight. You know what I mean? It's like, as long as it gets there, it doesn't matter who comes up with it. That's what I was trying to say. You know, as long as it's there, and it, you know, talk about segues and it, um, and it shows up in your brief, <laughs> then, um, then I think, you know, it becomes actionable. And I know that we talked earlier, one of the things we're going to talk about was the importance of a creative brief and, you know, wh what makes one good and what makes one's bad. And I think briefs without insights, they can be fine, but I think they're better when they have insights. Because look, there are tactical creative briefs. You got to do this thing, go do the thing, go do it. But what did Tom call it? The speeds and feeds. Sometimes that exists. But, but when you get an insight in that brief that says, do this, and here's something we know that is unique, that's when you could be like, okay, I can work with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think some, sometimes it's, it's that singular insight itself that, that almost solves the creative problem for you. Yep. You know, I, I, I use this example all the time. There's a, a campaign that was done a number of years ago, I, I believe by Crispin Porter. Mm -hmm. um, it's a consumer campaign. So for, forgive us uh, B2B listeners, but um, the goal was to sell miniature carrots. Mm. So it was to sell I vegetable. love miniature carrots, a little hummus. That's great. Yeah. Nice. So they were, it was said was selling vegetables, but you know, is how do you make this healthy alternative interesting? And the, 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 the campaign ended up because ended up being something I may be paraphrasing, but it was something to the effect of eat them like they're candy. Mm. And the entire creative execution was packaging and selling carrots the way that you might sell M&Ms or Snickers or Skittles 
and it just made them kind of hip and fun and within that route and like i could you could see the you could see the brief mm -hmm. you could mm -hmm. see the brief which is that people don't think that carrots are an interesting snack food our brief our insight is that we need to find a way to make this an attractive snack food mm -hmm. people get that it's a healthy alternative people get that it's something that might be enjoyable with lots of other things but they don't necessarily think of it first when they think of ah you know, it'd be a good snack right now. I think I could go for some carrots. Because it's not fun. They made it fun, Mike. They made it fun. Maybe Edelman's onto something. Yeah, maybe. maybe. All right. No, that's great. I mean, and and I think that's that's really important. You know, you need a brief that can give you that kind of information, or at least give you information that can lead you to those kinds of connections when you're concepting. Yeah, I I, I think. I think that's the key is how, how in your brief do you provide enough information for people to be able to, to, to do their work, but not so much that they drown in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, because let's, let's be honest, you know, it's called a brief for a reason. It's not a 400 slide presentation. It is a very somewhat short description of the things that are pertinent to this. And it's great to include all that other background information on a server somewhere that we can go look at, but don't just put all that stuff on a drive and say, Oh, it's everything you need is over there. Go through it. No, I need, I need you to direct me if that makes sense. So what, so what makes for a good brief? So for, for creatives who may be listening to this and thinking, what should I be looking for? And for those who might be writing briefs, what what are what are the hallmarks of a great brief for you? Well, I want to know what the problem is that we're trying to solve. I, I want to know what who the audience is that we're trying to solve it for. I want to know what their pain points are. I want to know well things about the client and their products and how the client and they, the client thinks their products solve those problems. I don't want to hear about the features and functionality of said products in the brief. I'll go find that out later when we're writing other stuff. I want to know how we think that this thing offered by our client is going to solve the problem of the audience. And then I want to know some insights around the audience. Then of course, I want to know like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> how many things do we got to make? What's the deadline? What's the budget? Is there a brand guideline? All the, all the tactical stuff that we need to know too. But I think from like the strategic point of view, that's the stuff I want to know. And I'm sure I'm leaving stuff out, Mike. So please don't make me seem like an idiot. What did I forget? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think, I think those are, those are all true. I think it's for me, it's, as you said, it's what's the, what's the business context, mm -hmm. you know, what's the problem that we're trying to solve here? How does this actually fit in with everything? What do we, it's not just enough to know what am I making, but what am I making it for? Yeah. Right. And then I think that the the single most important thing for me about a brief, and it's, it's the thing that I'm I'm always really scrutinizing for, um, is the single most important thing that needs to be said. Yep. That's you know the, to to your point about there are all these things that the product can do, you know, and here's what our core insight is. Okay, great. Based off of that insight, what are we saying? Yeah. What's the one thing? What's we need the people one to take away? Exactly. What's the one thing we want people to know? And what's the one thing we want people to do? Yep. What's, what's the key message and what's the call to action? Yeah. And then give me no more than three reasons to believe, you know, why, why do I, why do I believe that? Because no, those Mike, here's in... a 700 page presentation. I'm yeah, no, but, you, but you know, those, because those <laughs> become my, those become yeah. my first three, those become my first three ads. Yeah. Right. Those become my first three topics for content. Mm-hmm. So then how do you develop creative without a brief? <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, Painfully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, when, when you don't have a brief and you're given too many boundaries, we end up having to, we end up, ha you end up having to find the insight yourself. You know, yeah. I think, I think that's the difference. And, you know, of what we were saying earlier is that when you don't have a brief before you figure out, you know, that you want to go and make, you know, before you go out and decide that, I'm going to create a school bus that puts children on a field trip to Mars. You need to have a recognition of, you know, you need to have an insight and a recognition that says kids don't necessarily know and love this because they haven't experienced it. Right. Okay, great. Here's the brief. How do we make people experience 
what the magic of interstellar space travel is. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, I've worked for some really great creative directors um, in my career and, you know, some of the best ones when I was younger um, could kind of make some of those creative strategic leaps and kind of not invent, but extract an insight from an insightless or briefless campaign by like kind of looking at that. And some people, like you said, some creatives are really good at that, like creative strategists and, you know, and so, yeah, I think there are people that excel at that. And when you don't have a brief, hopefully you have someone like that on your team that can help you with that. Do you, some people are just good at it. Some people are really good at it. Um, uh, quirky and perhaps controversial question. Mm-hmm. Do you think copywriters are better at it than art directors? Or do you think that people can be equally good at it? I think people can be equally good at it, but I think there is a predisposition for people to expect copywriters to be better at it because words are hard. Um, and I think that it's just people that have it, have it. But I think it may be that there is a propensity of people that have that aptitude and that kind of brain wiring process to be more attracted to copywriting. So um, I have met more copywriters in my career that are like that than not, but I have met some art directors and you know creative directors that start in the art that are just as good. So I wanna say anybody can do it, but yeah, I think your observation <laughs> is correct that in my career, I've seen it more um, that way. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think anybody can do it. And I think that very often some of the folks who are best at it are actually neither. They're like yourself, they're UX professionals. <laughs> I, I, I find because you, because okay, you, fair enough. No, because you, because user experience folks are thinking about, they're always thinking about the user. They're always thinking yeah. about the customer and they're trying to think about how do I solve a problem for them? So I've actually found that in the last 10 years or so that some of the best creative minds I've worked with have been less traditional writer or art director and they've been more the person who can mm. think about how do you create an experience yeah um i think that i, I think you're right i think it, it naturally ends up coming down to the writers sometimes more often because their 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 training is in written storytelling and how to articulate it and how to articulate I mean? it and how to yeah. articulate the story over time rather than just express mm-hmm. it quickly yep. they can they, they need to be able to tell yep. it logically through but I mean, I I know plenty of art directors that are yeah. are just as good at diving in, and you know whether they can express it as a fully formed headline or it's just they come up with an idea that's just so spot on and analogous mm-hmm. to what that story should be, they right. they totally get it. Yeah, I I think you're 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 spot on there, Mike, for sure. You know, I mean, you know, we've all done it though. Like, what are some of the pit? false when you are trying to develop creative and do a campaign without a brief. I mean, I feel personally that it's, it's too easy to forget about putting the consumer or the customer or the prospect first and fall into features and functionality speeds and feeds type campaigns and advertising without a brief. It's just because it's quick and it's easy, you know? Yeah. Or, or you just focus on, well, what's cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do here, but you know, I think it would be kind of fun if there was a dancing elephant here. So let's, let's roll with the elephant. Yeah. And you know, that, that may ultimately be interesting, but again, it's not really creative if it's not strategic. Right. Yeah. You know, right. Like that, like that. That's when you go with the ninjas, you're like, no, we'll keep the ninjas. <laughs> yeah. Like it could be interesting and cool, but that doesn't mean it's the right answer. And right. more often than not, you're going to bring that to the client. They're going to go, well, why? Right. It's you not know, like think, you have a brief and an insight telling you otherwise. No. Well, and I think that that actually circles, you know, to come around a bit full circle on it. I think the other reason that having that insight is so critical is that, um, you know, whether you're an in-house creative or you're an agency creative, and it might actually be more important if you're an, in, an in-house creative, because I feel like when you're in-house, you get questioned even more on why you want to do things. Mm-hmm you're not going to get it's it's hard to get a green light to do the things that are truly creative if you can't prove that they're somehow founded in something yep that substantiates them right again it's not creative it's not strategic like if folks are like i'm really not sure about how this idea is going to work through and you can say well look we know that this particular you know i'll I'll go back to an old example this uh, this is going back might be 15 years um there was a for a period of time, there was a fantasy football league that was run among Cisco customers. Okay. 
And there, I, I, I'm probably going to get this somewhere wrong. So maybe if there's someone out there listening who might find it, but I remember reading a case study about how Cisco created an incredible customer community hmm. built around fantasy football because they found that this was something that their the the the, the devs and the IT admins were all super into this. Wow! And based on that insight, they were able to say, "Look, you know, network infrastructure, but." You know what, folks in IT like football. <laughs> you know, and they're able to they're able to make that that connection. So, understanding and knowing who people are and having the data to back it up and being able to say, well, look, you know, from from what we found, seventy five percent of our people, you know, like and watch football on a regular basis. So let's lean into it. That's so let's great. lean into it. You know, yeah. that's that again. That's not an observation. No. That's an insight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, very, very cool, Mike. So what about the brief? I mean, you know, you're in a you're in a briefing. <laughs> Let, let's also be clear. Um, there's a brief. The brief is delivered to the creative team in a briefing. You go through it, you interrogate it, you push back, you question it. You do not send it in an email and say, here you go. Yeah, I, I that 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 conversation is critical. And I think. I, I've been guilty of this, you know. I, I think sometimes we as creatives have a tendency, to your point, like we are trained to interrogate the brief. Yeah, like that's literally the term that's used. Like, mm -hmm. put it, put it under the little. And it doesn't light. have to be negative, but you need to question, right? But that, and that's my point, is that like our job as creatives should not be to try and poke hole in the, no. the holes in the brief. But you know, I've I've been there, and I've personally done it to people, and I've you know, as I've gotten older, and I don't know if I've gotten wiser, but at least more aware. You know, you, you got to be careful. You know, the person writing the brief is putting this out there, and they're they're kind of exposed as well, and that mm -hmm. they're saying, "Look, here's what I think we should do. What do you want to do with it?" So I, I think we need to look at it and make sure that we understand it, and that we're clear on it, and that it's precise, and that it's that it's it's unique. Um, I think we also like sometimes need to be empathetic to the people who are a hundred percent. And, and that's what I mean. Like when I say like, you know, we need to discuss it. We need to be briefed. Um, it's not a one way. It's not a presentation. It's a conversation. And when I say interrogate the brief, I mean exactly what you mean. Like ask questions that will help you do your job better as creatives. And sometimes that may be like, Hey, I don't, I think this is missing. What about this? But it should not be adversarial as a creative Remember, the strategist is your biggest advocate. They want to see their strategy come to life in an exciting and fun way. So do not feel that they are the enemy. They're there to make us look good. Yeah, I mean, they're also our best ally in the creative yeah. presentation. I mean, you and I have both been there. We've been there yeah. together where yeah. we've presented a piece and the very next voice that's heard after ours either because it's been volunteered or the client has turned to the strategist because typically strategy leads off the engagement. Right. So their relationship before this has been with the planner Yep. and they go, well, that sounds awesome. Okay. Planner. What do you think? Yeah. You know, or, or you if you do it in such a way where, you know, you recap the strategy and you lead it into creative. So they had not, the heads are nodding around the table before you even get to the creative idea. That's like, well, of course, that's going to be the idea. You just set it up with the strategy. Like they look at it then and go, well, duh, of course, that's the idea. It's like, no, it's not. It was a really creative idea. But, you know, you sell it in such a way that makes it seem like that. I mean, the other thing I'll say, it is okay to push back if a brief is missing or it's too focused on the product or things. I mean, there are times when it is okay to be like, hey, I think we need a little more here, but be nice. Yeah, be nice, but also I, I agree. If there are gaps, it it's ultimately ultimately just very inefficient mm -hmm. to try and go down a road and then find out later that where you went was not right, and it was because you made assumptions about what needed to be done. Right, absolutely, and, and I think it's also important. One of the other things too is it is. I feel that. Briefing is a communal exercise. It is a collaborative exercise. And I hate, and I understand the way things are and that sometimes not everyone could be there, but it's like this idea of like, oh, well, so-and-so's on the team down here. We'll brief them later separately. No. Schedule it when we can all be together and ask questions together. 
It just, it never works. Like someone's always playing catch up or didn't work when somebody gets briefed separately. It just never works. I mean, you know, you're starting with a brief and the brief has a great insight in it. And then that gives you the ability to do a campaign that is insightful. I mean, that sounds silly, but you know what I mean, Mike? Um, so, you know, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. What's the, what, you know, pull into your well. What, what have you, what have you done that you're proud of that was really an insight driven campaign? Um, if 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 we can boast a little, I'll I'll tell you. Uh, I'll, it's I'll our tell podcast. You Why not? Chest I up suppose, a little bit, bro. Okay, fine. Um, so the, there's a campaign that that uh, my team at Retina did last year for uh, Gibco, which is a, a a brand. It's the same one I was talking about earlier, where we're doing the 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 cell science and art project now. Um, it's an extension of what this campaign was last year. So Gibco is a division of Thermo Fisher Scientific. Oh, okay. Um, and they are focused on, on cell science. So it's, it's instruments and cellular material that's used for um, very often academic research, but then also for clinical pur purposes as well. Mm -hmm. And when we started with them, they said, you know, we're, we're a 60 year old, almost 60 year old brand. It'll be 60th anniversary last year or next year, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, there's, there's an incredible emotional relationship that folks have with our brand, but that doesn't really come through. We don't have a unified message with everyone. And, you know, we know that our, what our perceptions in the market are of being kind of like the de facto standard, but, you know, it doesn't help us to go out there and tout that we're, you know, that we're just big and that we have all of this stuff. In fact, people don't even know that we have all of this stuff. Very often they engage with us in a certain area and we're known as like, the cell guys, right? It's like you buy your cells from Gibco. Um, but there's a lot more than that. You know, there's there's a ton of scientific knowledge, regulatory uh, knowledge. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because all that's going on in my head is a dude walking through the stands of like the halls of like a bottle. Like, Get your cells here. Ice cold cells here. Like, I'm, just, I'm sorry. So... I mean, that's not All far right. off from what they do. <laughs> okay. But I just, you know, like, like hot that. dogs, they just yeah, hurl them exactly. through the air. And then air. they're throwing the cells down in the stands of the ball game. Exactly. All right, sorry. Keep going, Mike. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the insight that we had, you know, the, so the, the easy observation is Thermo Fisher Scientific and Gibco are really big and they have lots of different stuff. And it's lots of stuff that people may not know that they have. The magic is not that they is not necessarily that they have all of this stuff. What we found was, especially as everyone was very disconnected at the outset of the pandemic, mm. the magic of what they do is the ability to make all of the connections in between everything, whether it's connecting one product to another, whether it's connecting one stage of the development workflow to another. The beauty is that, you know, if you begin your career in Gibco, you can keep following your career with Gibco and use all of these different things, plus get the scientific expertise, you know, to the, plus getting the consultative expertise. I mean, these guys will come in and set up your labs for you. And so the, 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 the insight, the positioning that we developed was called Connections for Life. And the, 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 the meaning there obviously being that one, we are making these critical connections between people, products, resources, expertise, um, and education that are going to empower you through the life of your career. But it's obviously, this is life science. These are connections that are dedicated to the mission of improving and lengthening human life. Um, and it's worked, the, 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 the positioning has worked really well in terms of unifying everyone across, you know, galvanizing everyone across the, the, the business unit. It's brought uniformity to the creative that we've developed um, from campaigns that launched last year that looked a certain way to the extensions that are going into this year to the Love Your Cells campaign that I talked about earlier. Um, and we've won several awards so far specifically for the insights of it because when everybody else is just talking about the standard things that you would observe in life science, we need to move faster. We need to mitigate risk. We need to reduce costs. We need to, whatever it may be. The, the insight is what ultimately these folks need more than anything is they need a place to bring it all together. And that's what uniquely Gibco and Thermo Fisher Scientific do. So it's, it's given us a tremendous launching pad for 
the last two years worth of creative and it will undoubtedly give us a launching pad for next year's creative as well. That's awesome. And that was in the brief. That was in the brief. See, it all comes full circle. Yeah. Well, that was one of those situations where I I worked on the positioning and then I wrote the brief. Mm -hmm. So I only had myself to blame if it sucked. (laughs) No, that's great. No, that, and that, but that shows, you know, it goes right back to what we were talking about. Like, you know, there's so much, crap out there how do you cut through well you need to be insightful and then deliver that to the team and let them be creative i i think so i mean it's i i would go back to you know even some of the campaigns we put in our last episode on the mount rushmore with, yeah. with tom stein um you know the 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 insight that that drove the jean-claude van damme epic split mm-hmm you know, clearly somebody was looking at that their 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 the 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 Volvo truck technology and said the in the insight to start it was our stuff is really stable. Yeah. This stuff just doesn't shake. And then some, you know, that 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 led it to well, how do we how do we demonstrate just how stable these things are? Yeah. And that's where the creative people will be able to go, all right. We, Jean-Claude we Van Damme could do a split between them. Yep. Somebody somewhere put it together and said, all right, you're talking about stability and how, how, yeah. you know, how to hold these things together. Thinking about our generation, who better to demonstrate that than right. Jean-Claude Van Damme going, exactly. be- going beyond a vertical split. Perfect. There's no one else. Yeah. Cool. Well, this was fun, Mike. What are we off to next? What are we off to next? Well, for me, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm off to, uh, probably some dinner soon as I'm sure you are as well with your I time, am. but I am. yeah, in the, uh, but uh, for our listeners, you know, definitely if you like what you're hearing, um, subscribe, hit that, you know, smash that subscribe button as the kids like to say, and um, recommend us to friends and stay tuned in the coming weeks. We'll be talking about a number of other, uh, a number of other topics around uh, how to develop and enhance your B2B creative. And beyond that, we're going to have a number of a number of special guests, shall we say. So our, our conversation with uh, our friend and mentor Tom Stein last week was really was uh, really fun and really productive and hopefully uh, a good experience for you all listening. And we're going to be bringing on a number of other senior B2B creative leaders uh, at all levels and from all places, I think one of our upcoming guests is going to be uh, one of my colleagues from Eastern Europe who's going to give us a global perspective on creative. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, till next time, Mike. Until next time. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, John. And uh, we swear we're not crazy. Maybe a little. Bye, everybody. <laughs>